Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to start in verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just want to thank you, God, that there is a pathway through the mighty waters and that for each one of us, Father, in our lives, individually, there's a path forward. I thank you, Father, that for us as a church, Father, there's a path forward. I thank you, Father, for individual families, Lord, in the lives of our families, Father, there's a pathway forward, Lord. I thank you, God, that you're leading us and that you're guiding us into all the truth. I thank you, Father, Lord, that you are making a way where there seems to be no way. I thank you, God, that all of your pathways are mercy and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to talk a little bit this morning about pathways. Um, I'm a little irked. Um, I was unable. I had had some lovely slides to show you, but that's not uh, working right now. But it's a process. Amen. Are you enjoying the process of growth in your life? I know I am right now. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, Peter likens believers to travelers, pilgrims. He reminds us in his epistle that we are all on a journey, that we're passing through, that this is not a temporary place for us. Amen? James reminds us that our stay here is short. It's a vapor. It's a smoke, he calls it. I was, um, my nephew, Micah, sent us a, a video. I think it was a, maybe a YouTube video. I, I should have asked Mark for it. Um, and the kids had this thing where they, they got a hot glass of, of water, and they walked outside in the backyard, and they threw the hot water out into the open of the backyard in the cold of the night, and it created this flash vapor, and it was really cool. Um, we will, um, maybe we'll put that up on the website. That would be great, right? Amen. No, uh, but if you look that up, it, it's just, and as I was watching the kids do that, they got a real kick out of it. They were kind of having competitions about who could maybe make the largest vapor. I was reminded that that's a picture of our life. It's a flash. It's a vapor. It's a smoke. It's quick. Somebody say quick. James reminds us and warns us. He says, listen, don't be so quick to say, 
Tomorrow, I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to buy and sell and I'm going to do this and that. He says, no. He says, you ought to rather be thinking, no, if this is God's will, that's what I'm going to do. And in that context, he reminds us how short our lives are. So we have a short amount of time to find the pathway that God has for us in our lives. I, I, last time I had an opportunity, I, I really feel like I'm kind of on purpose. Uh, because we're all going to stand, just to review quickly, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus is going to assess our lives. And he's going to say, what have you done with the purpose that I had for your life? Have you found the path leading to me? Have you found the path, the individual path that I have for your life? Amen. And he's going to judge us. So I don't like judgment. I thought this was a judgment-free zone. How many know that he judges in love? And that we're not going before the great white throne of judgment. But we are going before the judgment seat of Christ. And that God will still look at our lives and assess us. So many of us have found that path. Um, I was driving down north on Black River Boulevard a couple of days ago. And I noticed that there was a woman in the opposite lane traveling north on the other side of the median. Uh, there was a couple of ladies together. I was thinking maybe the passenger could help her out, but they did. She found her way back over, but she was driving into oncoming traffic. I don't know how she got over there. Sometimes being on the wrong path is more obvious than others. Sometimes we could be going the wrong way and knowing we're going the wrong way, and it's very obvious. Sometimes it could be a little bit more subtle. And we have to evaluate and say, God, am I walking in the path that you have for my life? Josh was helping me at the house. We were tiling a bathroom floor. Actually, that's not correct. I was helping Josh tile the bathroom floor. <laughs> um, and he looked up and he said, uh, he said, I want you to look at this and tell me if, if these tiles are level here. And he put the level on and he said, how does it look? And I said, that looks pretty level. And I noticed as he was working that he was constantly multitasking and checking to see if what he had done was level this way and this way, and he was checking it. And we need to put the level of God's word on our path and on our life, and we need to regularly be checking the level. Say, check the level. God help me. To check the level because when he comes into our lives, the Bible says he's going to make the crooked places straight and he's going to make the rough places smooth. God wants us to be walking in a straight path in our life. When the apostle, uh, I shouldn't say the apostle, when the prophet John came, the Bible says he came with a message of repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and he was crying out, make the pathway straight. And this was a, the forerunner of Jesus' ministry. And when God comes into our life, when Jesus comes into our life, he wants to straighten things out. He wants to, bring, uh, he wants to adjust the sin, adjust the crooked areas, and he wants to make it straight for us. And he wants us to walk and he wants us to follow him on the path that he has for us. Amen? <clears throat> the Bible says to run the race with endurance that's been set before us and to lay aside sins, and to lay aside weights. And then, if you read on in, in chapter 12, it says that we need to strengthen hands which hang down, and feeble knees, and make straight paths for our feet. 
so that what is lame might not be dislocated or healed. And this is a picture of God's discipline in our lives. If you read the context of Hebrews 12, it's talking about God bringing divine discipline into our lives. It's talking about God coming in and guiding and leading us and saying, no, I think this area of your life is a little bit off. We need to adjust that. We need to bring a little bit of discipline in. And we say, oh gosh, that hurts a little bit. But God says, okay, it might hurt a little bit. But in the end, it's going to be good. Amen? And, and that's the context of the smooth path. And God wants to smooth that path out so that we can walk with him in victory in Jesus' name. The Bible says that God wants to make a smooth path and to lead us because of our enemies. You know, there are enemies and there are pitfalls around us. When God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt and led them forth into the promised land, there were enemies all around. In fact, the enemies were following right behind them. But the Bible says God made a path right through the sea. And God wants to make a path for us because of our enemies. David prayed. He said, Lord, lead me. Lead me and guide me because there's enemies. Make my path smooth as I follow you. God led Peter right on top of the water. Amen? He led him right to Jesus. This was a path of fear. He made it through winds and waters boisterous, but he led him through. And I want to, if you're still in Isaiah 53, if you backtrack to verse 1, Isaiah 43, excuse me, verse 1, the Bible says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire... You shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you. You know, it's interesting here that God reminds us that we belong to him. God says, I formed you. I created you. I birthed you. And it's interesting that he differentiates between Jacob and Israel. He said, Jacob, who I created. Israel, who I formed. So God says, even before you knew me as God. Even before you were walking and following after me as Jacob, as unregenerate, as not knowing God, I still created you. I still know your ways intimately. But even when you became Israel, when you became born again, when you came into the family of God, God says, I still know exactly who you are. I've got you located. I know where you're at, and there is a pathway forward. I want you to continue to follow me. I want you to continue to walk after me by faith. And when the waters come, somebody say trouble. When trouble comes, and it's sure enough to come, God says, I'm going to make a pathway through those mighty waters. When the fire comes, say more trouble. When the fire comes into our lives, God says, you're not going to be burned. I'm going to make a way even through that fire so that you can continue to walk with me. I was thinking about Paul's life and his radical conversion on the road to Damascus. You know, the Bible says, excuse me, Paul said in his letter to Timothy that his life was a pattern. The NIV says it was an example. And he said, my life and my conversion is an example of what this thing's going to look like for other people that are going to believe in Christ and follow him. Amen? So we should look there, right? Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Or excuse me, you will be told what you must do. And I'll stop right there. First of all, I think it's important to note that the first church were people that were known as the way. It says right here, if Paul were to find anyone who were of the way, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You say, wait a minute. I thought they were called Christians. Well, first at Antioch years later. But they were known as people of the way. I had a nice slide. I plagiarized it. Have you ever seen The Mandalorian? It's a new Star Wars series, and, and you know there's this really courageous guy, and he goes about adventuring and conquering and being courageous. And after he does something great, he just looks up at the camera and says, this is the way. How much more for those of us that know the true way? Amen? Amen. Find somebody nearby and say, this is the way. <laughs> yeah, come on. Don't be ashamed if you like Mandalorian. It's all right. This is the way. This is the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And the first church was known as people of the way. What does that mean? God has a purpose for your life. You're not someone that's looking for somewhere to go. God has a plan for you. You're someone that's going somewhere. You're someone that God has intentionally placed on a road that is leading somewhere. God has an end in mind. The Bible says that there is a way. Proverbs 14, that seems right to a man, but what the end leads to destruction. This way that we're on leads to life. And it, hear me, the people that are on this way, the people that are on this path, there is a distinction because they're headed this way and other people are headed this way. So we ought to be able to tell the difference between people headed this way and people headed this way because it's built into our character. It's built into our stature. It's built into our purpose. I've been reading a novel uh, by Thomas Castain called The Silver Chalice. It's a fictionalized account of Paul's life in Jerusalem and the early church and what happened to the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is fictionalized, but there is a lot of historical truth in it. And one of the things, they, had, they fictionalized, how many of you remember in the book of Acts where the Romans came in and they took Paul out of Jerusalem and they took him away because he was preaching in the streets and the zealots were going to kill him. Are you with me? Okay. So in the story, there's this young artist who gets caught up in the mix of this with the daughter of Joseph of Arimathea. Anybody know who Joseph of Arimathea is? He was the man that Provided the, the tomb for Jesus. Anyway, it's a 500-page novel. I'll spare you the details. What's that? 
Um, anyway, in that story, they, how I many you know, start, people started to throw rocks at the Roman soldiers. Well, the girl that threw, Joseph's daughter in the story that threw rocks at, at the Roman soldiers had to run. And they were running, and they were going through in Jerusalem what's called the Cheesemaker's Valley. And as they were running, they were meeting other people. The Romans were chasing them, and they were meeting other people, and the people were helping them. They had a code word. They said, are you of the way? And when they heard those words, the people opened the door, and they hid them. And they would go to another house as the Roman soldiers were coming down the hill, and they would help him, and they would utter the name Jesus, and they would open the door, and they would help him. And the young artist said to Joseph's daughter, he says, why are these people helping us? They can die in an instant. If the Romans know that they're of the way, they're going to die, but they're taking us in and helping us. And she said, and he wasn't a Christian, she was. She said, you don't understand, Basil. Those of us that have found the way know a peace. Those of us that have found a way know, know a, a joy. Those of us that have found the way, we're not afraid of what happens in this life because we know that there's a life after this life where the rewards are going to be given. Those of us that know the way don't care about the Romans. We are here to help others along the way. I had a picture of my son in his pajamas this morning. I wanted to show it to you. In the driveway, shoveling. And it so touched my heart. You know, I had, he knew I had to, to preach this morning, and, and there was snow in the driveway, and, I, and he just went right out there in his pajamas, and he was just making a pathway through the snow, making a path. How many people are grateful for people that have come alongside of us on the way, people we can depend on, people that love us, people that are going to join us on this path that God has for us? Amen? Somebody say, you're not alone. We're not alone. God is with us. Jesus is leading us. Others are with us. Amen? So the first thing we learn about Paul's encounter here is that God has a path for each of us. We're on our way. The second thing we learn is that the devil's job is to get you off your path. And he uses people to do it sometimes. Because Paul, how many of you know, was looking for Christians to tie up and send to jail. So there are obstacles, and the enemy's job, wants, he wants to get you off the path that God has for you. Number three, God intervened. God intervened. God wants to, I have, really have faith for this right now. God wants to show us the path that he has for us in life. God doesn't want to hide it from us. He doesn't want to keep it from us. The Bible says he's the good shepherd. And the Bible says that he sent his word. And thy word is a lamp. Come on, somebody. To my feet. It's a light unto my path. The Bible says that in, in Isaiah chapter 30, and I don't know if I want to go into the context of it, but the Bible says that God's, you're going to hear a voice behind you. Go ye in this way. Follow this way. God wants to lead us. He wants to show us the way forward. So Paul was interrupted. You see, he was on his way to arrest Christians, but Jesus arrested him. Amen? Do you like that? Amen. Jesus arrested him. Jesus came looking for him. 
God, how many know God came looking for Jonah? He, Tarshish? No. Nineveh? Yes. God made sure that Noah didn't end up in Tarshish. And God wants to put, uh, I don't want to say whales, but God wants to put situations and circumstances in front of us that are going to deter us from the wrong way and lead us to the right way. God wants to put his word and make it nice and clear and shine it before us and say, this is the way I want you to walk in it. God wants to put an inner witness, something in our ear, in our spirits, that says this is the way. Go so God is after us finding the way. God came looking for Adam, didn't he? Adam, where are you? How many know God knew where Adam was after he sinned? But he said, let's locate you. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way, and I'm coming looking for you so I can get you going back on the right way. I want you on the right path. I remember as, a, and how many know that Paul, after this, and I'll just paraphrase it, <clears throat> he ends up quickly getting baptized. Quickly taking the message of Christ into the synagogues. Now, I realized there was some process of time, but he got to work rather quickly. And how many know that God changed him quickly? The first church says, what is going on here with this guy? He was killing Christians, and now he's arguing for Christ in the synagogue. And he's got a good message, too. I don't know what to think of this guy, right? I remember when I was 19 years old, I went into Teen Challenge, and we had a first interview. Um, my mother brought me in there. She kind of dragged me in there. I didn't want to go. I was in there. I had this hipster little beard, you know, with the, had the side word hat, had, you know, two earrings in one ear, an earring in the other. I was wearing some Chuck Johns and some cargo pants and an attitude to boot, okay? And I sat there, and, uh, you know, there, there was uh, brother, brother Rod Banner was sitting on the other side of the, of the desk, and he's just looking at me, and, and just, you know, my mother was just running through all the problems I was having in my life, and, you know, we... Uh, we just believe, you know, we've heard that this would be a good program and a, and a good place. We, we've heard that you can, you know, transform people and, you know, you've got, so how are you going to do that? You know, and uh, he said, Mrs. Barone, we're so glad that you're here and uh, thank you so much. And uh, we're so glad that he's here, but uh, why don't you step outside now and you leave him here and, and we'll take care of it, okay? And, and you know what happened? About two weeks later, Maybe a month. I, I, can't, I, I was standing up in front of a congregation in Syracuse in a suit and tie. Okay, they made me shave my beard. The earrings are gone. Okay, no hat. Okay, I had like a hat permanently on my head for most of my uh, upbringing. It was just there. Okay, the hat, we couldn't wear that either. And I was giving my testimony to a, a, some church in Syracuse about all the things that God had done in my life. Very shortly after that. How many know that God can change our paths? How many know when, when Jesus comes into our life, things change? There's transformation involved. And yes, there's a process. But God doesn't, you know, I don't think they had Bible college in the first church. I don't know that you had to have a PhD in theology to start serving and start helping. I believe that as people came into these home groups and as people came in, they said, are you of the way? Have you, have you, you know, by the way, if you were baptized, that did it right there because nobody else wanted anything to do with you anyway once you were baptized. But if you were baptized in the first church, they said, oh, you're serious about this. You're of the way. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's do it together. Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the paths that you have for us. 
So there was a distinction. And the last thing I just want to point out <clears throat> is in um, Isaiah chapter 30. Or better yet, let, let's, um, let's, go to, let's go to 1 Timothy. Let's go to 1 Timothy and um, in chapter 1 because Paul said that his life would be a pattern. It would be an example. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God and Savior, to Timothy, a true son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, I want you to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. <clears throat> now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, from which some, watch this now, have strayed and turned aside to idle talk. And I'll stop right there. Listen, there are ways to stay on the path of life, and there are ways to stray from the path of life. And Paul identifies three ways to stay and three ways to stray right here in the beginning of this epistle. Let's start with the bad news. Number one, wrong teaching. Notice he told Timothy, I want you to go and I want you to charge some that they don't teach any other doctrine. Doctrine is a word for teaching. And basically, he's saying, listen, already, can you imagine, um, anybody want to guess um, how many years after Christ rose from the dead was this epistle written? Any estimates? I think, I think that's fair. Marty said 60, maybe 50 years. I think 60 would be top. Um, there are some some new um, <clears throat> ideas out there that, that things were compiled 300 years later. That's, that's false. The, the, this was compiled at most 60 years after. And by the way, they were all taken by eyewitness accounts. Amen. Amen. Um, in Paul's letter here, let's call it 50 years. But just 50 years after the resurrection of Christ, there were already people in the church that were teaching the wrong thing. They had gotten away from God's word. And their teaching had gone left or right, so to speak. And I just want to substantiate this with 1 Timothy. Excuse me, 2 Timothy. You don't have to go there. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth. So the path that God has for us is a path which is after Jesus, which is the way, the truth, and the life. And notice a couple of things about this false teaching. Number one, it is according to people's desires. They've got itching ears. People are going to be looking for things that are going to satisfy the lusts of their flesh. People are going to be looking to hear things that are going to make them feel good. 
People are going to be looking for things that don't bring discipline into their lives, that don't bring God's word into their lives. Let me give you an example. And I'm, I'm almost done. In Isaiah chapter 30, Israel was attacked by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were going to take over Judah and Israel. And Israel turned to Egypt rather than turning to God for help. And God got angry. And he said, you want Egypt instead of me? Go ahead. You're going to flee on horses. But this rebellion, say rebellion with me, was in Israel before this attack from the Assyrians happened. And the attack just brought it out. In Isaiah 30, chapter, excuse me, chapter 30, and in verse 9, the Bible says, this is a rebellious people, lying children who don't hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, don't see, and to the prophets, don't prophesy us right things. Speak to us, watch this, smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. So the people didn't want to hear what God had to say anymore. And they had gotten into wrong teaching. Number two is, and, and how many know that it didn't turn out well for them? Number two Paul brings out, we got to stay away from myths, fables, and endless genealogies. And number three, he points out that we, you got to apply God's word correctly. There were people that were teaching the law of the Old Testament, which is God's word, but they were teaching it the wrong way. He says the law is good if you use it lawfully. In other words, you're using the law not the way that God intended us for to use it right now in the New Covenant. The law in the Old Covenant, is supposed to show us and bring us to Christ. It's supposed to reveal the knowledge and the nature of sin for every human being. But the law is fulfilled in Christ. So they were wrongly, uh, these Jewish believers were wrongly applying the law. Finally, ways to stay. Number one, God's objective is love. Notice Paul says the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So Paul reminds us that love for God and love for people is what God is primarily after in each one of our lives. And that love looks like purity of heart. It looks like a good conscience. And it looks like genuine faith in God. These are the things that God wants to keep us on the path. Amen? So Father... <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, that there is a pathway forward, a path through the mighty waters. Thank you, Father, that as we encounter trouble, that you're going to keep us on that road, Father. Thank you, Lord, that the road that you have for us is straight, that it's free from sin. Thank you, Father, that you're leading us in a way free from enemies, Father, showing us, leading us step by step. Thank you, Father, that there's a change that happens in our lives when Jesus comes and that we can pivot and change paths and be transformed by the power of the gospel. And, Father, we thank you that you warn us to stick with your word that lights our path, not to get into false teaching, not to get into the flesh. And that's the last thing I want to listen. The flesh can be a wrong path.
It's a wrong way. Peter warns us. After the example of Christ, he says, resist fleshly lusts which war against the soul and walk after the Spirit. So God, help us to continue to walk the pathway of the Spirit, the pathway of obedience to you, Lord, and not fulfilling our own desires in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life, and that when, we, when you come into our lives, Lord, you show us the way that leads to the Father and that you show us the end, which is eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.